Hello, degenerates. It's episode six. I am your host, Brandon, and this week we'll be asking what NFL teams will turn their season around in the second half. We will give you a must-start fantasy wide receiver, along with our daily fantasy lineups for week eight. And of course, we'll have an against-the-spread pick for week eight. Hopefully, it'll be our fifth consecutive winner. Chase will have the final period, but let's get him to say hello first. How you doing, everybody? If you don't know, we are Four Stats Podcast. We are a sports podcast that talks sports, sports gambling, and fantasy football. Each podcast, we give you four unique stats. Some are meant to be informative, some are meant to blow your mind, maybe even controversial, and others are just conversation starters. We just finished week seven of the NFL. What stood out uh, to you this weekend, Chase? A couple of things stood out to me this week. Uh, nothing that really happened on the field as far as on the gridiron, but... I wanted to talk about Greg Hardy's situation when he came back to the sideline and got to arguing with the fellow, with his fellow teammate. I believe it was a backup defensive lineman. Uh, if you haven't noticed that the Cowboys are known for having a little bit of confrontation, that's just the way things go in Valley Ranch. And I really don't fault Greg Hardy. Um, if you haven't noticed, since he's been back, he's been balling. He's been one of the bright spots for the Cowboys. Everyone's excited to have him back. And a healthy Greg Hardy is basically guaranteeing your team 10 sacks a year. I never take player blow-ups on the sideline that big of a deal. I can understand if it's a third stringer coming at Tom Brady, but Greg Hardy's been playing well for that team. Eventually, he will be a leader on that defensive team in the next upcoming years. So I think it's okay for him to voice his opinion, just like I think it was okay for Dez to come over there and say something to him. Um, in my years of playing sports, I've always saw arguments between the best players. The only thing is you can't take it to a disrespectful level as far as you can't disrespect the coach or anything like that. But I can't hold anything against him. I know he has a past track record, but I enjoy the fiery attitude, especially coming from a defender. Uh, and passion is appreciated on your team, particularly as a defender. But I think his reputation precedes him. He has been... Uh, I don't want to say victimized because he's bringing a lot of it on himself, but he has definitely been painted as a villain. I pulled up some of the arrest report from once you told me this was going to be your, your opening topic. And it, it was pretty disturbing read here. I just wanted to read a couple parts of it. It says I have bruises from my head to the toe, including my neck, shoulders, back, arms, elbows, feet. Hardy pulled me from the tub. My hair screaming at me, said he was going to kill me, break my arms and other threats. I completely believe he drug me out, out of the bathroom, onto the bedroom, choked me with both hands around the, my throat while I was on the floor. He picked me up over his head and threw me on a couch full of assault rifles and shotguns. I don't think, I think all of this plays into how the media is portraying him. Um, if this was never out, I I don't think that his explosion on the sideline would be viewed any differently from when Des Bryant does it. But his past comes into play here. Yes, but that occurred off of the field. We haven't had or heard anything really big issues uh, from what has gone on on the field. And I used to always bring up this argument back in the day with Terrell Owens. Uh, Terrell Owens always had something going on off the field. It was always a problem. But once he locked up, once he strapped on his helmet and got it between the hash marks, you never had any true issues before with him with actually performance and play. And once again, this is about your job. If you go to work and get the job done, then it's okay. I'm not excusing any of his actions from previous. Uh, I also think that he has served his time. He basically missed the entire season, and he also missed games this this excuse me. He also missed games this year also. So 
I think that I'm not saying that we should forget about the past, but I don't think that they should overreact with just a sideline blow up that is practically dead now because they're no longer even talking about it that much in the media. They're just saying that they're thinking that he hasn't learned his lesson, but he hasn't repeated his past actions. He just got to arguing with a teammate. His reputation is the reason that it got any negative attention. I like that he had that fiery attitude and it's probably a good thing for the defense that he has that kind of passion. But on the other side, let's talk about Ryan Malley. I like Ryan Malley coming out of Arkansas. I thought him going to New England was the perfect move for him because he was going to be able to sit behind Tom Brady. Also, he'll be part of a winning organization and learn how to be a winner and a champion. So when the Texans made a trade for him, I thought it was a perfect move. They had a solid running back and then to get a young quarterback that had a little bit of that Patriot way in him would probably uh, give their program or their franchise a jump start. But Ryan Mallet has been a poor sport, a sore loser. Uh, at the beginning of the year, he lost the job to Hoyer. Uh, Hoyer didn't play well, and then Mallet actually ended up getting the job back. And then, if you notice the side the game when they pulled Mallet and then let Hoyer come in, and Hoyer made almost a comeback, probably one of the best comebacks of the season, Ryan Mallet wasn't cheering for him. Now, don't get me wrong, we're all competitors. Uh, we don't want to see the next man do better than us. And that's fair from the inside. But keep in mind that this is also your teammate and nothing or no one is ever bigger than the team. And for Ryan Mallet to say that he missed the plane because of traffic, you are a millionaire. You can buy a helicopter. I know that's extreme, but you can <laughs> buy a helicopter and get there on time. J.J. Watt has a bid in the Texans organization. I know he's a star, but he has a bid there. So he's never late. Whenever he's tired or he needs to be there, he goes to sleep. You're the starting quarterback or the backup quarterback. I'm pretty sure they would have accommodated you any way you wanted to. Honestly, I don't even know who the best team in Texas is right now, so I'm pretty sure the police might have gave him an escort to the game to make sure that he was there. So there's no excuse, and I completely agree with the team waving him. Um, I do think that he deserves another chance, probably as a third-string quarterback for Jacksonville. They always need quarterbacks. But I don't think that... He showed any professionalism in this situation, and I agree completely with him being waived. I agree he should have been waived too. Um, I, th I love that you brought up both of these examples that happened in the same week because I think it's a good example of unfair judgment. Uh, what Ryan Mallett did was more detrimental to the team. Uh, Hardy's uh, blow up on the sideline, I think, is viewed as negatively as Ryan Mallett missing the plane but they're two totally different things. Hardy's blow up could have motivated the team and got lit a fire under them. Everything that Mallet did was selfish and would do nothing to help the Texans advance and get better as a team. Yes, there's no place in the NFL for it. You can't accept that from the 53rd man on the roster or the first man on the roster. And your team's losing, so you can't afford any distractions at all. And for you to be once the starting quarterback, you have to be a better leader than that. Well, while we're talking about leadership, well, let's talk about the change of the head coach that's going on in Miami. Right now, Miami has a new head coach and they're off to a, a big start. We can go ahead and talk about teams that we think are going to have a better second half of the year than they did in the first half. I'm going to go ahead and talk about the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins have a new head coach, which was their tight end coach, Dan Campbell. And right now they're 2-0 up under him. And he's actually gave his team a new identity, a new mentality what they, when they approach the field. At first, 
Miami looked as if they were a finesse team. The finesse team is out the window. They are they want to be a physical team, hard hitting, running football team, and I think that fits what they have going on. First of all, they went and got Sue this summer, and Sue is everything physical, hard hitting, uh, in your face type of guy. So I really think that the team should take that mentality, especially from Sue, which in my opinion is their best player on that roster. So their offense is no longer built around Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball 30, 40 times a game. They're running the football now. In the last two weeks, the Dolphins went from being the worst rushing team in the NFL to running for 180 yards one week and then turn around and running for 240 yards the next week. That's very impressive. Lamar Miller last week, I hope that you did have him on in your fantasy team. He produced 268 yards from scrimmage. I'm pretty sure that got you 30 points easily, probably actually knocking on the door of 40 points. With that being said, it's less pressure on Ryan Tannehill. So Ryan Tannehill can take his time and get the ball to people that are his playmakers. For example, Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry, if you don't know, went to LSU. He comes from the same breed as Odell Beckham. I don't want to say he's the same talent. But he's definitely a playmaker if you watch him. If he gets the ball in open space, he's guaranteed to get to the end zone because he has elusive speed and also he can make moves. So I really do think that the Miami team actually could head down the road and maybe make a playoff push. They do have a situation where they're in a very tough division. But once again, I think they're good enough to beat the Jets. And as we see, Buffalo is starting to go the other way. And... No one's catching New England, so we can just let them be on their pedestal because they're on top of the AFC. I believe that Miami could be a better second-half team, uh, but I'm not sure that they're going to be good enough to beat the Jets or really have a chance at a playoff spot. In the NFL, a lot of it is motivation, but at the same time, this is the highest level of the highest level of competition for these guys. Your motivation isn't going to be the deciding factor in a lot of games. It's going to come down to coaching often and preparation. And I'm not willing to believe that a tight end coach can step in and be the X's and O's guy to lead a team. And like you said, is a very tough division Um, unless he surrounded himself with some extremely smart minds and has the people in place to do what he can't. I'm not I'm not really willing to say that they're really going to contend. You said that they're a finesse team. Uh I would I would disagree. I would just say they weren't motivated. They just didn't care. Uh I think these last 2 weeks if it proved anything, it proved how just the firing was for the coach. Uh their ability to run has been uh greatly improved, but really again, that could just be motivation. They've all, it's never been a question of talent for this team. They've always had the names. They have Landry. They have, they have Tannehill, who I believe is one of the better young QBs in the game. They have Lamar Miller. It's just, it, it seemed like they never came out those first couple of games to win. They were just out there to show up. I know you disagree with the finesse comment, but if you look at their three losses this year, Ryan Tannehill threw the ball at least 44 times in each of those games. Oh, wow. <laughs> Throwing the ball 44 times has finesse written all over it. It is nothing power about Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball 44 times. So I have to say, if you're believing in Ryan Tannehill's arm 44 times a game, you're finesse. Uh, It's no way around it. It's pretty obvious. 
that is pretty shocking that they would have him throw the ball 44 times in multiple games. Uh, I'm going to just assume I, I don't have the box scores pulled up. I'm going to assume they were down big in that game. They had no other choice. And then again, they do have talent at wide receiver. So maybe they were just trying to get the ball to the best playmakers, but that that's hard to argue with at that point. Well, two of those losses, they were down by at least a touchdown or more. But in one of those games, they were losing to Jacksonville by three points and he threw the ball 44 times. I'm pretty sure if they decided to run it, they would have beat Jacksonville with no problem, just like majority of the NFL happens to do. That brings us to our first stat of the night. The Dolphins are averaging six yards per play on offense and allowing 5.4 yards per play on defense. That's a .6 differential on every play that they run. Only four teams have a better differential, and that's Arizona, Denver, New England, and the Jets. Those teams' combined record is 21-4. and four. So I think if the Dolphins continue to follow the same trend, that they can actually make some noise this year, and this season won't be a bust. Yeah, that record is pretty convincing, and it does show that even though what we saw the first couple of games, that it seemed like they were just getting blown out, they must not have been playing that poorly. Absolutely. And they did open up their pocketbook this year. So I think that some of these free agent acquisitions should pay off, especially with paying the lineman Albert. And and once again, Sue is the best player on that team. And I think that he'll make his presence felt. Maybe he'll get a chance in a short week to get his hands on Tom Brady. That will be a a game to watch this week on Thursday Night Football for sure. Uh, I, I think it will tell us a whole lot about where Miami stands right now as they are playing probably the the best team at maybe the second best team in the league um, in New England as an eight point underdog, it looks like currently. So we will know after Thursday night, how good this team really is. And if you believe that they are 0.6 yards better per play, then I I guess you have to take Miami plus the points. Not so fast. I, (laughs) I think they stand a chance, but if we're talking about money out of my bank account, I'm going with Brady. Who do you have for your turnaround team, Brandon? My turnaround team is the Baltimore Ravens. I was about to say, please don't say the Cowboys. I think it was a really easy choice to put in the NFC, any of the NFC East teams because the division is so weak. But we all know how I feel about that. So don't get me started on that rant again. So <laughs> back to the Ravens, who are currently 1-6 and six after their close loss to Arizona on Monday night. Their schedule was really unfavorable. I actually think the NFL needs to take some of the blame for the start of the Baltimore Ravens. Out of their first seven games, five of them were on the road, and four of those were on the West Coast. That's a whole lot of traveling for any NFL team, no matter the skill level. Now, I know they lost Suggs, and that is a huge loss, but they shouldn't be this bad. Uh, I really love their young linebacker, C.J. Mosley. He was the defensive player in the SEC. He was runner-up in the rookie defensive player of the year in the NFL. He should be able to shoulder the load without Suggs. And if not, it speaks pretty highly of uh, what Suggs is able to do and how much better he makes people around him. But I think I'm going to lean on the side that Mosley can handle the load. Baltimore actually has an extremely favorable schedule coming up now with six of their nine games remaining at home. That leads me into stat two. Stat two. Baltimore's next seven opponents have a combined record of 17 and 30. That's just a winning percentage of 33%. And of these opponents that remain, only only one of them are top 10 against the run. 
and actually three of their next seven opponents ranked 30th, 31st, and 32nd against the run, respectively. That wasn't the case early in the year. Earlier in the year, they were playing some really good opponents uh, that played the run well. They played Denver, who's fourth against the run, Oakland, who's third against the run, Pitt, who's eighth against the run, and Arizona, who's seventh against the run. And we all know that in Baltimore, their offense starts with the, that zone running scheme. It's not about Flacco and throwing it up to Steve Smith and having Flacco drop back 44 times like we were talking about Tannehill doing. That's just not how they're built. They need to get the run game going. And they've just played opponents that are really good at stopping the run. And their schedule is really going to lighten up here soon. I think the Ravens could have a better second half than they did in the first half because they only have one win. They're one and six. So two wins and bingo, they're doing better. But I really think the straw that broke the camel's back was when they lost to Cleveland. First of all, they lost to Cleveland, the team that wears brown paper bags over their head. But to have Cleveland come back and defeat them after they had a lead in that game and then also that catch that their tight end had where the ball fell between his legs, I'm sure that it was on ESPN for number one for probably two days. I really think that that kind of ruined their hopes for the next upcoming season because then the next week they ended up getting dominated by San Francisco and even though they were dominated in that game they only lost by five points yes their schedule gets easier but I really don't know if they're able they'll be able to bounce back I do think their record will be better on the second half of the year um, because they do have they do have a solid coach one of the Harbaugh brothers that will be able to motivate his team not to quit but I really don't think that they'll be able to make the playoffs it looks like They'll need to invest in their defense. Uh, I think they never bounced back from losing Haloe Nada. Um, also, they're going to have to get some more playmakers on offense. Steve Smith, he's definitely a solid player, but his days are numbered. And Forsett, as much as he continues to step in and fill in, I really don't know how much you can depend on him as being your number one running back. I don't agree with that. I Week one, Baltimore went into Denver, and they should have won that game. There was not an offensive touchdown scored in that game by either side. So I know that the defense is getting a lot of the the blame for this one and uh, six start because they are ranked 25th in total yards and 26th in points allowed. But they did go into Denver and hold Peyton Manning to zero touchdowns. Uh, then they went into Oakland, and they had the lead in that game and blew it. Then they hosted the Bengals, who are currently undefeated, and it took a miracle A.J. Green performance for them to lose that. They were up in that game. They beat Pitt, and then they had a comeback. Cleveland came back on them. And San Fran, a game you just mentioned, they dominated. So there was really only one game where they were they weren't in position to win, and that was last week at Arizona, which was the closest game. And like I said... All the blame seems to be laid on the defense just because of the statistical numbers. But I really feel like it's a little bit of an imbalance. Uh, I say this because they are giving up the most plays of 20 plus or more through the air in the NFL. They've given up 31 of those, including three 68 plus yard touchdowns, which through seven games, that's just an astronomical number. But it also really inflates the defensive yards and points allowed. They play well for most of the game. They just keep having breakdowns that lead to massive plays. And I, I believe that this defense doesn't have to invest heavily to be a contender. Uh, you did mention the loss of Nada, which I am a big Nada fan, but they still are 10th against the rush. So I, I'm not sure how much of a loss that is when they seem to be pretty deep again at the 
defensive tackle anyway. Uh, I just think this team is much better than the record proves. Obviously, you pointed out a flaw in uh, the question when I said what team will have a better second half than the first half. They absolutely will have a better second half because they only need two wins. But I believe this team is good enough to beat some of the playoff teams in the AFC. I just think they may be a little too far to catch up. But I believe they'll make some noise down the stretch uh, given the favorable schedule. And the team is pretty talented. I think that they may be a spoiler, but it's kind of hard for me to believe in them being a spoiler when they can't finish games. That's the biggest thing about being a top team in the NFL. You have to be able to finish games, and it seems that as games go on, it seems that they fall apart at the very end. It seems like it washes away their hard work in those three previous quarters where they fought for blood, sweat, and tears, and then the fourth quarter comes and they give up a big play or they do something that causes the game to go the other way. So I think if they can find a way to finish some games, then definitely I agree with you. But right now, I'm still going to have to say that they'll probably be picking someone top five, top six in the NFL. If that's the case, then that would be uh, one of the worst performances in Baltimore's history. And I'm sure there'll be some people that lose their jobs over that because that would just be a disgrace to have all that talent and not be able and be one of the five worst teams in the NFL. Well, they'll always be able to draft another defensive player from Alabama. They have a few of them now. (laughs) They are stacked with Alabama talent. But now let's go into some fantasy football talk. Fantasy football talk. All right, we're going to go into our lineups for week eight. Uh, This is for our DraftKings Millionaire Maker. And let's hope one of us can strike it rich this week. I'll go ahead and start it off. I went ahead and uh, took Drew Brees. As my quarterback, who do you have at quarterback? I like Drew Brees because he's at home. Whenever he's at home, he's going to get the job done. But at my quarterback, I went ahead and took Matt Ryan. Uh, Matt Ryan's playing against Tampa Bay. I think he'll have an opportunity to have a good game. At running back, I decided to go ahead with Chris Johnson. It looks like Arizona is going to lean on him for to handle most of the carries. I know they have Ellington back there, and also they have David Johnson, but it looks like they found their running back with Chris Johnson, and he had a big week last week. Also, I went and took the backup for Jamal Charles. West did have a good game. He rushed for over 100 yards last week and a touchdown. So I think he's actually got his feet wet and he's getting used to the offense. So I think he'll have another good game. Yeah, I really like both of those running back picks. Uh, I went with Alfred Blue as my running back. I think that Houston is a still a running team and somebody's got to carry the load. Now that uh, Arian Foster uh, tore his Achilles. And for my second running back, I'm taking a little bit of a risk here. I went with Derek McFadden. Uh, it's not that I believe he's an elite talent. I just believe that offensive line has to be the best in the NFL. They were they were making holes last week that uh, semi-truck could have drove through. And if Joseph is active, I will be replacing him, and I'll let you know on Twitter. But I'm um, thinking that he will not play, and that makes McFadden at $3,800 a steal. At my wide receivers, I went ahead and stacked Drew Brees and Brandon Cooks. Uh Brandon Cooks has been probably one of the biggest fantasy busts this year, but he has been getting a lot of targets. He had his best performance last week, and I think him and Drew Brees are starting to find some chemistry. And in fantasy, when you play wide receivers, you're looking for some uh, big plays, and Brandon Cooks has the big playability. My second wide receiver is Mike Evans uh, for the Tampa Bay Bucks. He had just a phenomenal week last week. That actually brings me into stat three. Stat three. 
Mike Evans is getting all the targets. He had 41% of Jameis Winston's targets last week. He had 2.5 fantasy points per target last week, which was the highest among all wide receivers in week seven. When you're just getting that much looks and you're, you're turning those looks into points, it's a must start for me. And my final wide receiver, I went with Julio Jones for every, for every reason that you took Matt Ryan. I think you've been peeking into my lineup a little bit this week. Uh, and my wide receiver, of course, I have Matt Ryan, a quarterback, so I did some stacking there. I have Julio Jones. Also, I went and got Mike Evans also. I was very impressed by his performance last week. And then I also took the Wiley vet, Steve Smith. Uh, he's been very productive for Baltimore. And also, you appear, you assume that Baltimore is going to turn around their year, so he'll have to be part of it if they do. Um, also, at tight end, I went and took Benjamin Watson. I'm following the same wave as you uh, with the Drew Brees wave. Uh, Watson had a big game for him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think he'll continue to find him in the red zone area. Also, for the first time, I picked two tight ends. I took Jason Witten also. The Cowboys are playing Seattle. I don't think Castle will have that much time. Um, he won't be able to get the ball to his wide receiver, so I think that the only target that he'll probably be able to hit is Jason Witten, so I think he'll probably get a lot of targets and Jason Witten doesn't drop a lot of balls, so targets equal catches. Uh, that's interesting. I, I guess a quick question I would have for you, being the uh, Dallas guru, is do you believe that Des Bryant will be back, and if so, will that affect Witten's targets? I don't think Des will be back. I don't really think it's – I honestly don't think it's worth it, him coming back. I know the Cowboys have hope, and that division they have hope, but Des coming back is not going to fix the situation. Uh, if you watched the game last week, those interceptions that were thrown, one was the fault of Terrence Williams. He should have made a play on the ball. But those other interceptions thrown by Castle were horrible throws. So I think bringing Dez back may make it even worse because he might try to force the ball and cause cause more turnovers. I think the Cowboys need to stick to the run game. So I don't think they should bring Dez back. And you just paid him a whole lot of money. You can't afford to be bringing back damaged goods. You need to let him heal. Yeah, I would, I would like to comment a lot on that, but I guess we should get back into the lineup. Uh, Witten will, I think, produce for you if Des is not in there. Uh, for tight end, I went with Greg Olson. Uh, he's one of the best uh, pass-catching tight ends and Cam's number one option. Hard to go wrong there. And my flex, uh, I went with the complete crapshoot. I think part of the reason I, I made this move, and I'm already justifying it, so I guess I know it's a bad move, but I went with so many safe picks. Uh, the fact that we both have Mike Evans and both have Julio Jones is a little bit concerning when playing in these big contests because you need some differential to separate yourself. I went with Andre Ellington. Now, every, you were right that Chris Johnson has absolutely won that job, but they are playing Cleveland, who's dead last against the run. And Ellington just has so much explosiveness that even if he only gets a couple carries, he could bust one and uh, it could change the coach's mind pretty fast and ride the hot hand. So I know I'm taking a huge risk with Ellington, but I, I think it's a calculated risk that in this big contest could really drive up my score and, and get me up to the top of the leaderboard. To finish up my fantasy lineup with my defense, I took the Titans. The only reason I took the Titans is because they're cheap and they're playing the Houston Texans. We just talked about they got quarterbacks missing planes. Foster is done for the year with the Achilles. I really don't know what type of offense they're going to generate over there in Houston. So I went ahead and went and took the Texans. I mean, excuse me, the Titans, because they're playing the Texans. I actually think that's a really sharp pick, not just for what you're saying and not for just what I was saying about having some differential uh, between you and the other players. But if you look at the t Titans defensive numbers, they're shockingly good. 
So maybe this Titans defense is just better than I know. Uh, for mine, I went with a safer pick. I went with the Rams, who are home against the 49ers. I believe the 49ers are the least talented team in the league and at home that the Rams should dominate. So that is our fantasy lineup for week eight. We will see who wins this week, and hopefully one of us will cash for you in week eight. Each week, we want to give you an against-the-spread winner. Our against-the-spread picks are currently 4-1 and one on the year, and since no team is going to London this week, I'll be forced to find a, a different angle. But that wasn't hard to do. I think I've made my no- hate known for the NFC East. And once again, they were on primetime, and once again, the NFC East displayed a poor product. This will be only the second time this season that the NFL doesn't force us to watch an NFC East primetime game. The Giants that lead the division are actually going to the Superdome to play the Saints, which leads me into stat four. Stat four. The NFC East is just 6-10 and ten straight up outside their divisional games, and just 1-6 and six straight up against non-divisional opponents with a winning record. That's proof of what I've been saying all year. It's a garbage division that beats up on one another to inflate the record, and it makes them seem like they're better than they really are. And although the Saints aren't really what they used to be, they can still score. And if they were in the NFC East, they would be leading the division. The Saints still have Drew Brees, who I started in fantasy, and he leads the Saints to the third best passing offense in the NFL. Furthermore, Brees has historically owned the Giants. He's posted a 4-1 record against them. More impressively, in just those five games, he has over 1,400 yards, 12 touchdowns, and just two picks. Giants may be getting Pierre Paul back, but his ability to perform is greatly unknown. The Giants' defense has allowed over 400 yards per game. The Giants' non-divisional opponents have been the Falcons, who are offensively gifted, but the same can't be said about the Bills and 49ers, the Giants' only other non-divisional games, and both of them were able to put up points on them. The Saints will have no problem moving the ball and scoring. You may think the Giants have the ability to keep up with Manning and Beckham, but this team is actually 23rd in yards offensively, and that's against one of the softest schedules in the NFL. The NFC East may be giving us some bad football, but at least it's giving us some easy against the spread winners. Are you cashing this game with us? I've actually been listening to your advice. I've been in a few pools where you had to pick teams to win. And last week, uh, I didn't do any against the spread betting, but I actually, both of those games won straight up. So I'm going to roll with you again this week. And once again, whenever the Saints are at the Superdome, it's almost impossible for me to bet against them. They just light it up in that atmosphere. When they're on that turf, they're guaranteed to probably give you close to about 30 points a game. So for me to go against them is going to be very hard. Yeah, it seems like an easy pick to sink the Saints at home. But once you just look at everything the Giants have done and who they've done it against, it just makes it an easier pick. I'm with you all the way. I'll go ahead and back you on this one. Hopefully by the end of next week, we will be 5-1 and one against the spread. Pretty impressive stuff. And somebody's hopefully someone's been following along and will be at least be able to buy a new small car. Ford Focus or something close to that. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. They need to uh, share their success with us. Let's go ahead and get into the final period. This week, my final period is not really a bold statement or me telling someone they're doing something wrong or trying to bring your attention. This week, I want to give a shout out. This year, Steve Smith Sr.'s last year. He's been a great NFL player. Of course, he's had a couple of off-field incidents, but he's been a wonderful representative of the shield of the NFL. And this year he's leading his team in receiving yards and he has more touchdowns than all the receivers combined on his team and more receiving yards also than all of the other wide receivers combined. So I just want to say farewell to Steve Smith. We're going to miss you and ice up. 
He, I think he goes down as one of the most underrated wide receivers of our generation, and I, I'm glad you gave him the shout-out. And he's also one of the little guys. The NFL is going away from the little guy trend now. They're trying to get big guys on the outside, but he was one of the little guys that definitely played much better than a lot of big guys. There's not many people that can say they have a bigger heart and more drive than that guy. But that's all for us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our podcast. We will be back again next week. Uh, with another lineup and another against the spread winner if you have any feedback you're welcome to get in contact us Uh, we would love to answer your questions even if you have fantasy football questions you may contact us on twitter at four stats podcast that's always the number four never the preposition we are still looking for sponsors or even guests on the show if you want to be on the show or sponsor any segment of the show please email us at four stats for success at gmail.com that's all for us and good night See you next week, everybody. Take care.